Welcome to Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco. Our show is all about the exciting world of real estate, and in particular, how it relates to the lucrative New York market. But if you're not planning a real estate transaction in New York, we still have plenty of information that you can use no matter where you are. Now, here's your host, Vince Rocco. Hey, good morning, everybody. Happy New Year, and welcome back to another edition of Good Morning New York. It is Tuesday, January 6th. It is snowing here in New York City. Isn't that something? I'm your host, Vince Rocco, and we are coming to you live from Blastoff Studios in Times Square, as usual. Um, as I mentioned last week, New York City real estate is like no other business in the world. Uh, 2014 has been a very interesting year in real estate. Last week, we talked uh, with a journalist about affordable versus uh, luxury real estate housing, the poor door controversy, which still, you know, uh, is being talked about unbelievable. Foreign buyers, pricing records that have been broken. Uh, Billionaires Row, which is West 57th Street here in New York City. Most expensive properties for sale, I mean, up to $135 million, I think, for Penthouse. Unbelievable. Shared office space, one World Trade Center opening issues, a big rat infestation. Poor Anna Wintour, is that crazy? <laughs> Hudson Yards and Brooklyn. So we're going to continue that conversation today because 2014 was a great year. And I'm talking today to Zach Cusin, and he is a writer for the New York Post. The New York Post is a daily newspaper primarily distributed in New York City and its surrounding area. It is the 13th oldest and 7th most widely circulated newspaper in the United States, and it was established in 1801. Since 1993, the Post has been owned by News Corporation, which had owned it previously from 76 to 88. Its editorial offices are located in New York City. Zach joined uh, the staff of the New York Post as a real estate and travel reporter in November of 2014. He previously worked at the Real Deal magazine as a reporter. His work has also appeared in the New York Times, Newsweek, and on the website uh, of PBS, Need to Know. He graduated from Bard College, yes, in 2009, (laughs) and the SUNY Graduate School of Journalism in 2011. Good morning, Zach. Good morning. Thanks Thanks for for having me. here with us. Yeah, thanks for having me. So let me ask you, um, well, let's get to this first. Your three recent articles for The Post have been very interesting and captured the essence of 2014 in real estate, I believe. We've talked about this on our show earlier this year, but it's worth repeating here today. New York City's 10 priciest homes and the transactions in 14, as you reported, quote, it wasn't just about record-breaking listings, but also about record-breaking unit sales, particularly in the co-op market. This is fascinating to me, and we've talked about this many times on this program. Um, The record for the prices co-op buy wasn't broken once, not twice, but three times in almost five months. So what, in your opinion, has caused this shift in the co-op selling prices when traditionally the condo product yielded so much more and such higher prices. It's like kind of condo versus co-op, and now all of a sudden the co-op is exploding uh, in the New York market space. Yeah, it's an interesting observation because what I think uh, is happening here are two things at the same time. You have these unit sales that are happening in very Tony co-op addresses. So I think that because of the legacy of these buildings, they're yielding very high selling prices. You know, you have 740 Park Avenue, which Michael Gross wrote a book about, and I don't know how many billionaires live there. You have 834 Fifth Avenue, you know, you have 960 Fifth Avenue, and these are all very prestigious um, addresses within not many blocks apart from each other. Um, you know, obviously you have, like you were saying, you have big sales at 15th Central Park West, you know, those Tony condos and everything along 57th Street, you know, say 157. But 
you know, it was it was actually Michael Gross who you know has written books about Seven Forty Park and Fifteen. Sorry. And Michael Gross has been on this program, yeah. uh, to talk about his latest book about Fifteen CPW. Yeah. We touched a little bit about Seven Forty Park Avenue, but what's interesting to me though is when you look at the traditional co-op uh, scenario. Okay, yeah. investors or high rollers or anybody who kind of you know breaks out of the traditional boring mode. Uh, or mold doesn't really, you know, bode well with co-ops. So when I see that, you know, these high ticket item co-ops are selling for these high prices, I'm wondering where have we departed from the traditional, um, you know, approval process that, you know, once said no to investors, no to high profile people. Sorry, we don't want paparazzi. Hey, we don't want celebrities because think about it. Who could afford these prices? Exactly. The and was higher it, end celebrity or the, the, the Uber, you know, wealthy, you know, Russian billionaire. Absolutely. And wasn't Madonna famously turned down by some Famously. Yeah. Very she famously was. turned down. But you know Well, and so were many of them. I remember I was shopping for an apartment for myself and Mariah Carey and I this is such a funny story. We were going <laughs> to see two different apartments in the same building. So I'm in the lobby waiting for my <laughs> From my broker, I'm not going to tell you the building. I was waiting for my broker in the building, and I was looking for a one-bedroom at the time. And here, you know, this entourage shows up, this big fuss. I'm like, oh, that can't possibly be my broker. She's not doing all this for me. Anyway, out of the car comes Mariah Carey in all her glory and, you know, whoever else was with her. And they were coming into the building, and I thought to myself, what on earth is she? She can't possibly be looking at the apartment I'm looking at. So, of course, she just whizzed right by me and went upstairs. Somebody was waiting up in the penthouse, and she got turned down in that building. She actually wanted the apartment, and she got turned down. I didn't like the apartment. Woe was me. So I didn't buy it, but she actually got turned down, but she apparently loved that apartment. And I thought, really? Maybe next time you should show up in a little with a little less fanfare, which is my point here. Okay, yeah. so I still struggle with how these co-ops all of a sudden just think, okay, let's let them all in. I feel like to a degree it might be luck of the draw, you know, because there was press this summer of a deal falling through at the River House for the French ambassador uh-huh. to the UN. Do you remember that? Mm-hmm. And the co-op board there had concerns over the frequency at which he would have state events in the apartment that he was looking at. And so noise was a concern. You know, influx of people coming into the building was another concern. But I don't know. I think perhaps it's just, it really is luck of the draw. Maybe these guys, you know, who bought these buildings, you know, Israel Englander, <clears throat> Nasus Suwiris. What, like what do you think that the, <clears throat> the co-op boards uh, and the people who live in the building outside of the board members are getting intoxicated by these prices because uh, all of a sudden now we're we're standing up to the high price. I keep using the term Uber prices of the condo marketplace. Mm. So maybe now they're getting intoxicated by these these wonderfully high inflated prices, thinking, okay, so maybe when it's my time to sell, I can get this you know this retirement money or this beyond my second life kind of money. Exactly. But let me ask you something from a journalist. Point of view, okay. You look at the market from a journalist point of view. We look at it from a you know a real estate point of view. So of course we like you know the the higher prices and 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 whatever. But from a journalism point of view, what you know what really do you guys think about when you see these these very high priced now co ops versus condos? Does it mean anything to you? Well, it. I I think that it's part of a cyclical nature of the real estate market that you know we had a wave of condo sales that were record-breaking and, you know, condo listings hitting the market that were asking higher and higher prices. And I feel maybe now it's time for the co-op market to have its moment. And 
you know, I mean, for me as a reporter, you know, with these things happening not once, not twice, but three times, you know, we say that twice is a coincidence and three is a trend. Mm-hmm. You know, this is something that is worth, you know, keeping a finger on because this is this appears to be a very beating pulse. And, you know, I mean, these are these addresses that are famous and have, you know, housed very rich people for a very long time. But whether this spreads to other co-ops and if they have record-breaking prices in their own buildings, then it'll get interesting. I guess through the decades, <clears throat> as you just said, they have been always been, been famous buildings and always been very, you know, high-end buildings. And I, I agree with you. I think, you know, through the years, I think they're going to continue to be that way. I'm just amused, I guess is the right word here today, for – you know, the pricing that we're seeing because for the longest time, I mean, really up until this past year, the condo prices were so far, you know, there was always a premium to be had for buying a a condo versus a co-op. And we as brokers, you know, would go on saying that. All right, let's move on. So the five most controversial developments brewing in New York City, another one of your articles. (laughs) Developing new buildings isn't easy in this town. As you say, securing proper financing permits and crews can all boost cost and, and cause delays. Even worse, when buildings displace locals or replace landmarks, tempers can rise and controversies ensue. And then there's you know, five examples of uh, what um, contested real estate projects citywide. So gra- graffiti this – this was an interesting one. Graffiti versus gentr- gentrification. What is the actual controversy surrounding this development? What, what, what's going on here? I mean there's a whole bunch of stuff happening with artists and developers. Yeah. And what, well, what's the deal? Well, this is a famed graffiti – well, you can call it a graffiti canvas. It's this big industrial warehouse. It was this big industrial warehouse in Long Island City called Five Points. And since the 90s, um, a team, well, many teams of street artists doing you know graffiti murals that came into the city from around the world would go there, and they had special permission to you know completely coat the exterior with you know the colorful murals that they were doing. And in 2011. Uh, the owners of the site uh, named – it's a father and son team, Jerry and David Walkoff. Uh, they're based in Long Island. They uh, announced plans to develop <clears throat> high-rise rentals on the site, luxury high-rise rentals, and that effectively would displace the artists. And what was happening at play here was that because this is you know, the only spot where you can essentially, what they say, tag legally in the city, they lost their home. And so a lawsuit was filed. There was you – know, there was – social media kind of presence in terms of, you know, say five points. And, you know, artists were really trying to stand against the development and trying, you know, their hardest to block it. But the owners of the site, I mean, they're the owners of the site and they got city approval. So it's an interesting thing because we've we've followed the artist movement, as I call it, through the years, starting in Tribeca, starting in Soho, in Brooklyn Heights. I, I represented the sale of 20 Henry Street in Brooklyn Heights, uh, I don't know, six, seven years ago. When, you know, that building was at one point an artist resident and then it converted to a rental. But, you know, through the years, the artist always raised their hands and said, hey, what about me? What's happening? You know, why am I getting tossed out? Let me ask you something, Zach. So how do the artists find, continue to find success? So they keep moving on or they keep moving out of buildings that, you know, they've had for forever. How do they continue to find success and what they need to do? Well, there are two things that they can do here. There, there was an artist who I spoke with for this story. Her name is Gilf, and she's part of um, a street art collective, and they do mainly like activist-oriented work. And for her, the solution was just to find a new place and start anew. Because what's happening here at Five Points is uh, the rental development is going to include space for artists. And that's the compromise that the developers drew with everybody who was against their plans. And I think they wanted to keep the legacy going because it had, you know, 
it had been very, very colorful for a while. It had been a tourist attraction since the 90s. So they mm-hmm. wanted to, you know, keep the spirit going. Um, and what they are going to include are walls on the exterior for graffiti murals, hallways on the interiors for murals. The space is yet to be determined. Like so how this is actual- a compromise on the developer side? Absolutely. Okay. You know, and they're also including 12,000 square feet of interior space for individual studios, not just for street artists, but 12, also 12,000 square feet. I mean, that's a lot. That's a lot of space on the inside for um, canvas artists, for sculptors, for, you know, people who do work in other mediums. So, you know, it's... It's not going to be what they're used to, but you know the developers did strike a compromise, and they wanted that to be important. And where are they in? The, in what stage are they now in in development of this this particular project? They're demolishing the building. They started over the summer, okay. and uh, groundwork should begin, I believe, around May or June. So they're they're moving right into it. Okay. Um, so again, from a journalist perspective, I mean, we we from from you know the broker side say, well, there's another project, something else for us to sell. Yes, we have sympathy towards the artist, and I'm not saying that we don't or anybody. But you know, from a journalist perspective, you know, what 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 goes through the mind when you're writing the story? Do you take sides? You don't have to tell me what sides you're on, but do you take sides, or you just kind of write the story from a you know generic perspective? Well, a journalist shouldn't take sides, especially when it comes to this, because for us, you know, it's, it's the conflict that makes the story, and we we need to represent all sides of what's happening, you know, objectively, fairly. And, you know, it's, it's, it's professional conduct for me not to take sides, but just to report what's happening and what all the perspectives are. And the thing is with this is that it was a good story because there are so many perspectives and so many feelings behind this. You know, the developers, the owners of the site, they want to, I mean, they had plans, you know, for years to, you know, bring these rental towers to Long Island City, which... I mean that you know. I mean that's that's a pretty uh, hot market right now. It, it, it's it's on fire. But we yeah. got We let's hold it right there. We okay. have to take a break. But first, you were listening to Good Morning New York on the Voice America Variety Channel. We will be right back. Streaming live, the leader in internet talk radio, VoiceAmerica.com. Put Blue Realty Group to work for you. Blue Realty Group is a full-service luxury real estate brokerage firm in Manhattan. With our global reach, unrivaled marketing capabilities, and veteran team, Blue serves some of the world's most exclusive and high-profile buyers and sellers. Visit us today at BlueRealtyGroup.com. At Blue Realty Group, we feel that people matter and results count. Our mission with you is to meet and deliver expectations to drive the results you want. We're ready now. Visit BlueRealtyGroup.com. That's B-L-U-RealtyGroup.com. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco. If you want to call into the program, we're toll-free in North America at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to vrocco at bluerealtygroup.com. That's vrocco at blurealtygroup.com. Now, 
Back to the show. All right, everybody, we're back, and we're talking to Zach, and we're talking about some of the, the, the important articles that he's written for the New York Post uh, as the year ended in 2014. As we here at Good Morning New York continue our focus on ending 2014 and jumping into 2015, whatever jumping into means, and we're going to get to that probably later. So, Battle in Brooklyn Bridge Park, okay, at Pier 6, and these are your words, in Brooklyn, it's green versus green in the battle of planned real estate development near Brooklyn Bridge Park. On one side are community members committed to preserving green spaces. On the other is the city-controlled Brooklyn Bridge Park Corporation, or BBPC, which seeks to raise park funds by building two residential towers on Pier 6. All right, so why is this a problem in Brooklyn? Well, the Brooklyn Bridge Park Corporation is an entity that's self-funding, and in order to maintain the park financially, you know, the park that goes from the the bridges all the way down to Carroll Gardens, I believe, um, they need their own cash for it. And the best way they see that coming about is by developing more real estate, not on the park, but near it. And that's, excuse me, <clears throat> that's what the corporation stresses, that on Pier 6, it isn't technically parkland, and they can develop two buildings on it. And this will give way to um, an affordable housing component as well. So what happened over the summer is that sentiments were brewing among generally wealthier residents you know, that live around the area. Um, posting to message boards saying that they didn't want lower income people in the neighborhood, and that created some hostility between people, you know, who were living in the same neighborhood together. Yeah, this um, is the debate with the whole De Blasio, you know, yeah. affordable housing thing, you know, across the boroughs. But I'm sorry, go ahead. Oh no, but in in the most recent iteration, there is a group called the People for Green Space Foundation, and they're community activists, and they don't want any additional real estate development happening. What they say is on the park. Their goal is to maximize the green space and minimize development. And they are proposing alternative financing models that the corporation in November shut down because um, the the group wants to essentially level, uh, leverage potential tax revenue increases from the existing real estate around the park, which the corporation said was you know generally misestimated. They didn't take inflation into account correctly. So you know it's it's an ongoing discussion that they're having over this, and you know the the buildings. Here's the thing that stands in the way is that the buildings are planned. They have city approval to do this. And so the the people for Green Space, they sued, I believe, over the summer. And now there's an injunction blocking the developers uh, – I'm sorry, blocking the corporation from choosing a developer for the project. So, you know, this is an ongoing thing that, you know, we should definitely keep a tab on this coming year. Something I read, you know, in wow. your article, you know, um, the uh, Brooklyn Bridge Park Corporation says that without this new construction, they'll be broke within 10 to 15 years. Is that the, the corporation or Brooklyn will be broke? The corporation the in corporation. terms okay. of, you know, maintaining the park financially. Gotcha. And, you know, they know that they can get, you know, good money for park maintenance, which is a popular destination for people around the city from developing real estate. Sure. Uh, look at Brooklyn. What is it? Brooklyn Bridge Park by uh, all those new developments over there that finally has come around and come into its own and is, exactly. is a bona fide qualified park for sure. All right. East River Beef. The East River Beef. This was this was a good one. Forest, City, Ratner and Blumfield Development Group are forging ahead with contested plans to build 1,100 apartments across three tall towers atop their East River Plaza uh, shopping center in East Harlem. Although the completed project will include 275 affordable units, here we go again with affordable units, community residents are worried they'll be priced out of the neighborhood. Why is this a concern for the neighborhood? 
Well, the most recent thing that came up in headlines, because DNA Info, the local news site, has also been on this uh, story as well. Uh, the the general concern now um, is that the height for this project is a bit too skyscraping. You have three towers, one at 36 stories, another at 42, and the last at 48. And, you know, community members are worried, like, listen, this is a little out of character for the neighborhood. But there are other developments nearby that, you know, reach almost as high, if not higher. Um, but the prices, um, those are definitely a concern among residents because they just fear gentrification. They fear being priced out. And even though, you know, there will be 275 affordable apartments here, I don't know what percentage that is of the total off the top of my head. Um, you know, they think that generally people will be pushed out of the neighborhood and forced to go elsewhere because there will be luxury housing rising up. What what are the developers doing to address these concerns? I mean, obviously, there's always two sides of the story. The developers mm-hmm. here, the neighborhood here, whether it's affordable or luxury. But, I mean, what are the developers really doing to address these concerns, or are they? Well, the developers are holding um, a series of town meetings, uh, or um, I don't even know if you would count them, uh, call them town meetings. They're meetings well, close with— Close enough. Yeah, exactly, <clears throat> you know, to get people's input on, you know, the issues that they have with it. And they've been revising their de- uh, designs around it for— Example, there was um, at one meeting uh, a concern brought up over and like there was one entrance for this complex uh, that was set to be on 118th Street in what they said was a quiet like cul-de-sac that they thought with that entrance would become, you know, a traffic magnet. And so with those concerns, the developers altered the plans to create two additional entrances. You know, so two, uh, two other entrances, right. um, okay. I think I believe off to the side, if I remember correctly, Correct. so that they can, you know, keep that area quiet. And so they, they are responding. I mean, you know, the community feels comfortable bringing these issues up in these, you know, meeting setups and the developers have been responding, you know, so this is, you know, as the issues get sussed out eventually, I mean, this is something else to track in 2015. It's always such a catch 22, the developers, it's progress. It's, it's, it's making, you know, new buildings, it's making money, it's selling, it's the whole, you know, whatever. And then it's always the neighborhood concerns and the people who can't necessarily afford certain things. Mm -hmm. And also from a noise perspective or from a congestion perspective, I mean, we all love our neighborhoods and we don't necessarily want them cluttered with – I mean, there's a neighborhood down in the in the West Village and, and you know, where the old St. Vincent's Hotel uh, hotel hospital used to be. Yeah. I mean, you know, that neighborhood is always very busy anyway. <laughs> and now look with – I can't remember how many how many units are there being put there. Oh, I can't remember. It's like drawing a blank. 1,400 maybe? So a very busy 14th Street subway stop, for example, is going to be even more yep. busy when that housing development is finished. And that's a luxury uh, development. So that changes the face of the whole neighborhood, adds thousands and thousands of more people down there. Mm-hmm. So I, I get the whole concern sometimes when the community is against the developer here. Congregation versus developers. Moving on to luxury full-floor rental units at 3 West 16th Street hit the market this month. Your words again, at the former home of the 16th Street Synagogue, whose 2013 eviction set this residential conversion in motion. The congregation occupied the space for nearly 70 years. Now it's without a home of its own. This seems big. What is happening with the synagogue? And do they have a new home? They I mean, have a new home. Big, they, they have, have a new, new home. home. Yeah. Okay. This is something that I was – this is a story I was very much on when I was at The Real Deal. Um because this popped off around two years ago this time. Um, the the synagogue was in that space for 67 years, I believe, uh, at 3 West 16th Street. And they were displaced because of two feuding real estate developers who had had previous plans for the property, but they kind of fell through, and then litigation happened. And then 
essentially the synagogue was evicted because they didn't have any written protection for it. And so what happened is that they were trying to secure space after they were evicted. Uh, they enlisted brokers uh, to find you know, a comparable worship space around the same neighborhood, but money was tight and inventory was also tight. So what they ended up doing was joining forces with another downtown synagogue, and they are called the 6th Street Community Synagogue. And that's kind of where they are. Uh, they're going to stay there. Um, the the synagogue's president a couple weeks ago told me that he likes the setup, and it's just kind of exhausting to search for another space. So the controversy is sort of like calming down? Well, you know, the the reason they were – well, the, the developers for this space, like back in 2002, planned originally on keeping the synagogue there and developing luxury condos up top because this is a six-story building. Um, but there were allegations on both sides of people falling through on agreements, and what ended up happening is just a, a whole bunch of you know litigation, years and years of litigation. I think they were in court for about five years trying to fight this, and what ended up happening is that the guy who owns the structure evicted his tenant. Like They had this um, agreement going between them, um, and the tenant was the one who represent, essentially represented the synagogue, and this dealer was allegedly supposed to, and with no written protection, they were supposed to go. So what's happening now is bringing things full circle. I mean, they're not bringing condos anymore, but they're bringing luxury rentals, and those recently started hitting the market. Um, and they're luxe. They're top-of-the-line finishes. You know, They're asking, I think at most right now, about 20000 per month and it's in a hot area. You know, these are full floor um, units, and I believe some of them do have outdoor space. If not all of them have outdoor space, and you know, these are things that are going to hit the market. I, I don't even know who's going to snatch them up. You're probably going to get some celebrity headlines. Twenty thousand a month, isn't that something? Only in New York, we will. <laughs> Let's move on. I, and I love this story, uh, Zach. Boutique condos in New York City's sexiest way to live. Now, I predicted these 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 buildings. You know, three four years ago, I happen to love. Uh, the trend towards boutique. Mm -hmm. Your words, with heads turned up to the sky, giant luxury developments like 157 and 432 Park Avenue continue to capture the eyes of onlookers as they reshape the city's skyline, but a look down closer to street level also shows plenty of activity afoot in the upscale arena. A proliferation of smaller residential condo buildings now cropping up around Manhattan, which offer buyers many of the ritzy touches as their skyscraping counterparts, but in limited supply. So, Zach, tell us, what is a boutique condo, and you know, what, what, why has this concept really taken off? Well, a boutique condo, um, based on the people who I was talking to for the story, is a smaller structure, generally a condo, um, with top-of-the-line luxury finishes that you could find in, you know, also these towering skyscrapers, but they're smaller, they're much smaller, they're generally under 20 units. And so it's it's a condo development that gives way to a more private, more intimate feel among residents. Absolutely. And the reason um, with the people who I was talking to about this, they saw this taking off because this fits into a larger trend of developers building on plots that are smaller in size. You know, the city only has so much space, and you get these skinny structures like 157 and 432 Park, but that's where zoning allows that kind of height. Whereas in other neighborhoods like Soho in the village um, – on the Upper East Side, there are height caps. And so you have the similar development happening in you know, small plots, but mm -hmm. they can't reach such towering heights. So that's, that's what we're seeing right now. Yeah, my business partner actually and I have talked about this for years, and that's why I say, for me, boutique condo is always on my mind because we think you know all of these townhouses that are on the Upper East Side, Upper West Side, 
downtown in the, in the village. Why not take these, you know, and build up as far as the FAR will let you and make a beautifully, you know, small boutique building, sell floor, each floor or whatever. So I'm, I'm so encouraged to see that this is happening because I think there is certainly life outside of high rise and luxury and, and fabulous fitness centers and, and all this stuff because there are people, celebrities included, and high net worth individuals outside of celebritydom who kind of want that feel of living in a townhouse, you know, where you have the privacy and where you don't have to see a doorman every day. Because a lot of these boutique condo buildings, I believe, have, uh, you know, buzzer in or, or key in or key fob in and they, they don't have a, a doorman per se, you know, knowing every little thing that you're doing, you know, every time you're doing something. So I think <laughs> that they – I think they have – uh, merit, and I think they're going to go far. I haven't looked recently at you know where we are with you know what's late, uh, what's been recently announced as far as coming out in 2015. But I would bet you, out of all of these buildings, because I did some research a couple of weeks ago, I bet 25 percent of these buildings are going to be more on the boutique side. That that's just my feeling. Yeah, I mean the the ones that I wrote about, the ones that I mentioned in the story that are generally under some kind of construction right now, are asking pretty big prices. And um, there was press a couple weeks ago. I think Curved had a little item on 27 Worcester Street that a penthouse at that boutique development um, entered contract and it was asking $28.5 million. Whoa. So, no. I mean, these are, you know, and, and people will say, okay, so after what Vince just said, no doorman, no frills, no this, no that. Who's going to pay $28 million for a condo? Guess who would? I would. I mean, if I could afford that. <laughs> yeah. Because I want that anonymity. Yeah. I don't want all that so fuss. Do I. I don't want all that muss. And I don't want all that nonsense. I mean, yeah. it's, it's for me, it's way too much. But there you go. Point well taken. Anyway, as always, the segment is over. We have to move on. But we thank you so much for coming, the New thank York you. Post and Zach. We have to take a break. But first, you're listening to Good Morning New York on the Voice America Variety Channel. Don't go away. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain inspired really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com Put Blue Realty Group to work for you. Blue Realty Group is a full-service luxury real estate brokerage firm in Manhattan. With our global reach, unrivaled marketing capabilities, and veteran team, Blue serves some of the world's most exclusive and high-profile buyers and sellers. Visit us today at BlueRealtyGroup.com. At Blue Realty Group, we feel that people matter and results count. Our mission with you is to meet and deliver expectations to drive the results you want. We're ready now. Visit BlueRealtyGroup.com. That's B-L-U-RealtyGroup.com. Streaming live. The leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco. If you want to call into the program, we're toll-free in North America at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to vrocco at bluerealtygroup.com. That's vrocco at blurealtygroup.com. Now, back to the show. Good morning, New York. Good morning, New York. 
Okay, everybody, we're back, and we're going to talk uh, to our panel in a minute. But, you know, on the heels of my conversation with Zach and the luxury versus affordable versus 2014, where are we going for 2015? I came across a great article yesterday on the uh, the real deal that I wanted to uh, just mention to you. Speculators, okay, not investors necessarily, not people buying to live in, but speculators scored really big in flipping properties in 2014. Now, this is something that I used to do, so I found it very interesting. Speculators from Manhattan to Brooklyn are flipping properties and cashing in big profits. The top flip this year was 223.6, on a one-bedroom, one-bathroom apartment at 101 West 87th Street. This flipped me out, by the way, <laughs> which was bought for $274,395 and resold for $888,000, this according to the New York Post. I mean, seriously? Wow. The borough's second largest flip was a resale at the Orion, a condominium development at 350 West 42nd Street. There, a 12-floor unit was bought for $850,000 in July and flipped for $1.4 million a month later. Uh, Also reported by The Post, the flip resulted in a 62.4% profit. The third flip on Manhattan, in Manhattan rather, was a fifth floor unit at 211 East 13th Street. The apartment was bought for $1.2 million in July and sold for $1.6 million in October, again according to the New York Post. So where do you go from there, guys? I mean, you know, uh, the speculators are back. The investors obviously are back. Uh, the market is doing what it's doing. You know, I used to do this in the early 90s, and I stopped because, you know, the market sort of gets ahead of yourself every once in a while. And, you know, I thought it was still kind of ahead of ourselves with these prices. But, you know, a one-bedroom apartment, 223% profit in a few months. Okay, maybe we need to rethink the business plan. <laughs> Instead of selling real estate, it's maybe time to do real estate. I mean, buy and sell uh, properties. All right, anyway, joining me today, as usual, is Perul Brombat from Core Group, Niall Lundgren from Dalian Realty. Uh, Rachel Altshuler from Douglas Elliman, Phil Horrigan from LeaseBreak.com, Ivy Ray from Blue Realty Group, and once again, Richard Lorenzen, CEO of Fifth Avenue Brands, who is going to help uh, the panel today talk about getting started and moving into 2015. I'm going to use the word graciously today. Huh? We want to move into 15 graciously. Uh, 14 was kind of a, mm. um, a speed bump up and down. <laughs> you're driving fast, you're taking a slow bump over the whatever, and then you're slow driving fast again and whatever. So we want to kind of understand from today, last week, by the way, we talked about business plans and, and social media, but today I want to talk a little bit about publicity and uh, branding, how we as agents and brokers can get into uh, a business plan that gets us more publicity and brands ourselves um, for 2015. Why? Because we want to be different. We want to stand out. We want to stand apart. We want to be better than our colleagues and better than our competition. So, Richard, let me ask you. You know, when we talk about publicity um, and branding, let's let's talk about publicity first. You mentioned it last week. It's it's best to get ourselves into press articles and into any kind of news media. But how do how do agents do that? Right. There's a lot of opportunities out there for publicists, uh, for real estate agents to take advantage of publicity that a lot of people are not using. Um, whether it's getting your listings featured in articles in the local press or whether it's going on uh, a media outlet to talk about the state of the market or even just simple things like putting out a, a press release for a new listing. Um, there's a lot of different elements of a, of a PR strategy that a lot of real estate agents don't use. 
So, you know, for someone who might sit there and say, yeah, I, that sounds great. I, I get that. I want to do that. But how do I do that? You know, where where do I go? I don't – not everybody has a Richard that, you know, they can say, hey, help me and let's do this or whatever. But how can people actually get themselves – I mean, short of making a big sale, you know, get themselves, no, you know, noticed? Right. The first thing I would say is the simplest thing you can do is when you sign a new listing, put out a press release announcing that you signed it. And you can go online and you can look at some templates of press releases. You can find a template of a press release and you can write one yourself if you don't have the money to pay somebody else to do it. Put together a simple two-paragraph press release just announcing that you signed this new listing, You know, describe the listing, a little bit of background information about yourself and what your company does. And you can use a, list, uh, a distribution service like PR Web or PR Newswire and just put the release out there. And it just gives you something that's out there on the internet with your name on it that will get you more exposure for your website, uh, more traffic to the listing, and will just help you reach a wider audience. Now, we talked about this last week a little bit. So, uh, you know, if we repeat ourselves, I apologize. But, you know, again, you representing both a company, you know, running a company and also running your own business. How much um, publicity do you do for yourself in your business and how much do you do for your company? And do you find it... Uh, a valuable uh, time of your day. As yeah, it's, it's always a valuable time of the day. Just as Richard was saying, just being an authority is, is very important. But I think my position is unique, I think, as, as yours is too, Vincent, that one is you know directly related to the other. So personal branding, personal promotion for my own book of business, you know, directly relates to the company and how well the company does. And how well the company does also relates to how well my business and my personal business so I think you know there's you know there, there's a certain parallel to the both of them where you know one kind of feeds off the other. So I'd say you know I always focus on on both. Um, if I'm going to have a you know like a fifty fifty, I'd say it's fifty fifty, but always working towards the same goal. Just you know making sure that we're an authority, we're getting our name out there. I think that's that's very important. Niall, how, how measurable do you, do you find this? I mean, so we we go out to press and we do what we have to do. Press release, as Richard said. <clears throat> how measurable do you see this? I mean, do you see results? Do you see any change up or down, you know, after you put something out there for yourself or for your company? Yeah, I mean, it, it's it's hard to kind of quantify it, like, immediately after it happens. I think there's a degree of letting, you know, some things settle in. Uh, I, As I mentioned on the last show, I did work with Richard, and, you know, I was able to secure a position on Fox News, um, you know, the next day I received a call from somebody from California, for example, you know, asking questions about the New York uh, real estate market. And I, I got a call from somebody in the Midwest the following week and an email from somebody else from Texas. So just getting that type of exposure allows you to connect with a broader demographic. Um, and I think the more that you're able to do that, the more it sinks in, and then the Internet recognizes you as somebody who's being out in a face um, you know, in an authority in this specific market. And the more that it happens, I think it kind of spirals from there. Rachel, good morning. Um, question for you, because you work for Douglas Elliman, a much larger company uh, than either Niall or I do. My question to you is, so if you wanted to put out a, a press release based on stuff that you and your business partner, Nadia, do on a daily, weekly, whatever basis, a big deal, does your company allow you to do that individually or is that more of a company kind of no-no? Um, I think you have to go through the manager, but I think they're, they're pretty liberal with that kind of stuff. Um, listening to the show, I just realized maybe I need a Richard in my life. 
because we just don't <laughs> we have enough do. time yeah. to do it ourselves. I mean, that's the reality of it all. Um, so I'm actually learning a lot from the show because I've never done a press release, believe it or not. I mean, we have our own system and we have our own branding. We have our own methods, but I never even thought to do PR. Occasionally, we have our own PR uh, company that we work with who's, I mean, I just love this woman. We go back a long, long time. And occasionally she'll reach out and say, they're doing a story about, you know, so-and-so. Do you have anything that would fit that? So we occasionally get that. Those opportunities are, are fantastic because they're usually specific stories um, that are really fun, and you can get your buyers and sellers involved. Um, so it's actually, for this year, I, I want to do more of that. Uh, Parul, so you know you're you're sort of a um, you know large company as well at Core. Do you, do you have any you know kind of um, uh, requirements or, or things that you can and cannot do if you want to put out press releases on some of the stuff you're doing, whether it's a deal, whether it's just on you or a partnership or or anything, all of the above. Um, for us, everything definitely has to be approved through our marketing team, um, and uh, you know it has to be branded. Uh, according to Core's branding, um, I've never ever actually thought of putting out a press release on a listing. So, Richard, thank you. I think that's great advice. Um, but usually, I think you know to sort of I think in in sort of line of what Rachel was saying. Um, for me, it's very much you know I think we sort of do depend on our internal resources, um, and you know maybe don't use sort of out of the box ideas as much as we could or should and can certainly use a Richard in our life. Um, but as far as, like, PR is concerned in general, I'd say that, uh, you know, one of the one of the bigger benefits that I've gotten from being at CORE, and this is certainly not something that I'd ever thought of, uh, but recently after I joined CORE, um, Selling New York approached me and asked me to be on the show. And, um, you know, even now, so the last episode that I taped was probably a little over a year ago. And um, I'm still getting business calls from that. So just getting that sort of, you know, whether it's Fox News or Money with Melissa or whatever, or just like an article in the Village Voice, um, PR definitely goes a long way. It's not as tangible in terms of um, what we get in return uh, immediately. But I think that if you track it over time, you see that, you know, people recognize you or when you're on a pitch and it's in your pitch book that you've done this show or you were, you know, expert on this television show or new series uh, that immediately people sort of see you as, as an expert and, and sort of trust your opinion that much more. Bill Horrigan, you also run an online company, leasebreak.com, plus you're an agent uh, as well. So what, what kind of thoughts do you put into PR or publicity in your yeah. day-to-day business for both company and <clears throat> for agents? Yeah. Uh, well, first, just and I'm sure Richard would agree with this. I remember as an agent when I got quoted in, in an article for the first time, and I was so excited. I thought my life was going to change, and I'm going to get all these phone calls, and you know, and it doesn't happen that way. You know, I got like maybe one phone call from some random person in Florida, and, and didn't pan out. But so I think the, the the lesson I learned from that is it's consistency. You have to really have a plan and really go, you know, and, and, and implement that plan, and know that it's not just getting into one article or two articles. It's just like a consistent approach where maybe you're in touch with many people in the PR industry, and you're maybe working with someone like a Richard, and you have a real approach to this. I see certain agents get quoted all. All the time, and I'm like, how do they get quoted all the time? Because they they have a PR strategy, so you really have to have a mm-hmm. real strategy. As far as leasebreak.com goes, <clears throat> I think we have a great thing with leasebreak.com. Everyone that uses it says it's a great idea, and we're starting to grow faster and faster. 
the one thing we need to really work on is awareness. So many people still don't know about us, and that's where PR comes in. And so I have done press releases. I need to do more of them. So like my business plan for, for this year is to have a more consistent strategy about – press releases, talking to the press, getting them to know what we're doing. Uh, often they're looking for stories. So it's getting out in front of them and telling them what we're doing and just, just it's maintaining that relationship with them. All right. I need to take a break. On the other side of that break, we will continue our discussion. Don't go away. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Put Blue Realty Group to work for you. Blue Realty Group is a full-service luxury real estate brokerage firm in Manhattan. With our global reach, unrivaled marketing capabilities, and veteran team, Blue serves some of the world's most exclusive and high-profile buyers and sellers. Visit us today at BlueRealtyGroup.com. At Blue Realty Group, we feel that people matter and results count. Our mission with you is to meet and deliver expectations to drive the results you want. We're ready now. Visit BlueRealtyGroup.com. That's B-L-U-RealtyGroup.com. Stimulating talk. It gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Good Morning New York, Real Estate with Vince Rocco. If you want to call into the program, we're toll-free in North America at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to vrocco at bluerealtygroup.com. That's vrocco at blurealtygroup.com. Now, back to the show. All right, everybody, we're back. Richard, I wanted to ask you one question on branding uh, so we can wrap up the whole, um, I guess, publicity, branding, social media, sales, business plan, guys, you know, out there who are listening who may be brokers or for those of you who want to be um, agents and brokers, it's key, as we talked about last week, to make sure you have your business plan uh, in place for 2015 because I don't care how successful we think that we are, and everybody on this panel happens to be enormously successful, but without a business plan, you, know, you can kind of you know, go off the road a little bit sometimes, and it's very, very important. So, Richard, my, you know, my question to you on branding is, we understand what it is. Uh, we all work for companies, and companies have brands. But I think it's important for individual individuals, agents, brokers, uh, whatever our titles are, to also have a brand. Now, so how do we do that? How do we brand ourselves? I mean, I have a little bit of a, a, a leg up on that because I happen to do this radio show, so right. I can sort of incorporate that into my overall brand. But how do agents and brokers really come up with a brand that's going to be different right. or separate them from the masses out right. there? Well, you know, it it really comes down to being yourself and figuring out who you are and what kind of image you want to put out there in the marketplace and how you want to be perceived by other people. And then, like the point that Phil made about consistency, is it really is all about consistency and doing it over time. And there's a lot of people that start doing PR and they'll try it for a couple of weeks and they don't see the results, so they stop doing it and they try it again and they stop doing it. And that really doesn't work because it really does come down to consistency. So the other thing that I would say for real estate agents, if, if you don't have a PR firm, you don't have a publicist, one thing that you can do is work on building relationships with the reporters who are covering your market. 
uh, like we just had Zach Houston on the show, and uh, we had the real deal on a couple weeks ago. Work on reaching out to those people on a regular basis. Talk to them. Develop relationships with them. This way, when you do have a deal that's newsworthy or you have something going on that's newsworthy, mm -hmm. you'll have those contacts there. And that will be instrumental in, in getting that image and, out there. And by the way, as Zach was telling, you know, both Richard and I at the beginning of the show or before we went on the air, they're always looking for stories. You know, they're journalists right. and they need to – they dig and they're looking for stories. Right. And, you know, it doesn't always have to be the biggest or best deal in the world. It's, it's, it's whatever is interesting or maybe intriguing at that moment in time. So as he says, reach out to these people. Don't be a pest, but reach out to these people right. and <laughs> let them understand what it is you're up to or what you're doing. That may be different mm -hmm. because uh, there are – are lots of uh, unique and unusual stories out there that I believe should be reported and right. that can help each and every one of us as a broker or an agent uh, to be even better at our game. Right. Develop a relationship. Uh, talk to them on a regular basis. Contact them over Twitter. You don't even need to pitch them right away. Just focus on developing a relationship first and foremost. Talk to them on Twitter, social media. Stay in touch. You'll see them in events. And just keep those relationships I agree. Go ahead, Phil. Uh, one thing I was going to say, add to what Richard said, and specifically for agents, one thing that helps in terms of branding is to get a niche. You know, uh, I'm the Upper West Side broker. I'm the downtown broker. Uh, I work uh, mostly between one and two million condos. You know, and once you get a reputation like that, all of the marketing could be centered around that, and then it'll help funnel those inquiries to that particular, you know, whatever you're working on. Um, seems to help a lot. A lot of the most successful agents in the business, I think, do that and uh, like as a townhouse broker she only works on townhouses you know mm -hmm. and really really makes a difference and by the way it, I, I agree with you it does make a difference and I wanted to say you know we're talking about us as individual brokers and agents but really this translates to success for our clients out there and that's not to be forgotten the, the buyers out there the sellers the renters if we have our act together if we are identifiable if we are focused and if we are you know quality uh, people will latch on to that. Look, brands, you know, cereal brands, you know, sport brands, whatever the brand is out there, they sell for a reason, correct? So for the listening audience out there who may be buyers or renters or sellers, you know, look at the brands that are you are presented with every time you're out there looking at agents, and one of them or several of them will, you know, relate to you, and that's where you really um, find you know, your choice in, in working with somebody. And I think that's why we brand ourselves because we can't be everything to everybody, right. but we can certainly be something to someone. So that's really very important. I really agree. And I'll, I'll wrap it up. I, I agree with all of you. And I think that what this topic is really important for all of us as agents and for people that might be listening that are considering coming in. But the one thing that I want to add is uh, agree with you, Richard, that you want to really, if you don't have a sense of who you are, maybe you're super young, but we all are something. And, you know, I've, I've talked to a lot of young agents and they were something, say, in high school and then they were something in college and perhaps it was athletically surrounded. But there's been something you've been up to. And instead of considering how to reinvent the wheel, you said it, be who you are. And when you begin to sink into that, instead of having to remake yourself, you know, I, I came from the music industry. So it makes sense that I would work with a lot of music people. I te I've taught yoga here. So it makes sense that I would work with people that are interested in wellness and intelligence and in their bodies. And, you know, so whatever your deal is. And then about the social media thing, or excuse me, about figuring out how to make yourself brandable out in the world and what it is that you're going to do in um, publicity. 
it's like pick one or two things because there's this whole world that you can be a part of. But get your voice on radio or see to it that you're consistently on Twitter and one other social media tool or go for learning or gaining relationships with some of the people in the press because you can't do all of them and then ride that road, right? Be consistent, I think, was the other most important thing. Exactly. Uh, well said. Um, so let's let's move on in, in, in our final attempt to close 2014. We all have a favorite story or a favorite deal or a favorite dramatic uh, occurrence that we, we dealt with in 2014 or a happy occurrence. I mean, not everything is drama, but at least in my world, most of it is. <laughs> anyway, so <laughs> who wants to tell us about, you know, one of their favorite deals of 2014? You know, I'll say one that that is probably not going to be other. We could all tell horror stories. We could all tell what, you know, because we have a lot of those. Mm -hmm. I thought about this on the way in. My favorite deal was the most simple deal in the world with absolute sweethearts that had this incredible aim for their children that were in bassinets. They were twins. (laughs) And they wanted to buy a property. They could stay around forever, that their kids could sell if they wanted to sell or live in at some point. And there were all of these people bidding on the property. And there was all this stuff going on. And, you know, we're in a position to, number one, perhaps um, speak to our seller about who we feel confident about, who we feel might stick around, who we feel may really close a deal. And then it ended up that the co-broker of the couple that I was really leaning toward was an absolute angel and ethical and unbelievably good. The whole deal was fast and seamless, and everybody involved was beautiful. And the people that won deserved to win. And we were at the closing table, and there were tears, and the broker stood up and looked at me and said, you're the best broker I've ever worked with. I mean, it was... The dream you had? Or? It, it I know, right? But it was just beautiful all the way around. And my girlfriend was renting the apartment... And I even got to have her in for the next year and sign a lease at the same rent. And everything about it was nice. So although that may be boring, those kinds of stories are really sweet. And that's my favorite deal. My, you know, my, my favorite deal, you know, we do big deals and we do small deals. But my favorite deal is the smallest deal I did this year, a studio deal, because it was not dramatic. It went on a little bit, but, you know, that's just the nature of things. Uh, and it was a, a listing that went up, and within, I don't know, two showings, I think, in one open house, but the open house was just done because it was scheduled, but in two showings, it was sold, and it was sold to a major motion picture movie star, which I can't talk about, but the reason I like this deal is because it was a small deal, it was with a very big name who could have been a lot of drama, and it just went so smoothly that contrasting that to the biggest deal I did this year, a five or six month, and I think we've talked about this on the radio many times, five or six month negotiation that almost made, you know, jump off the building rooftop. Uh, So it's not always about the the, the price of the apartment or the size of the deal. It's sometimes a deal is a deal, as we talk about all the time. But the smallest one that I did this year was my favorite and was the best. Yet to close, but it's on its way. Anybody else want to tell about a favorite deal? We've got about three minutes left to go. I actually have not a favorite deal, but I'm going to switch it a little bit and say my favorite pitch that I went on, which um, we're launching next week, uh, why it's my favorite is because how we got it, Nadia and I were pitching it for months and months and months, probably four or five months. And at the end of the day, he said, all right, it's coming down to two brokers. I really like you guys. I have a loyalty to another broker. What can you do for me that the other person can't do? And we were bold, and we just said, we'll get you the cover of the New York Times. 
Mm-hmm. And he said, you can. And we said, yes. And we went to our marketing department, and they promised us the January cover. So we got the listing, which is, I don't know, I feel really good about it. Nadia and I are super <laughs> happy. That's yeah, awesome. That's very bold, but you know what? You promised it. You're getting it. So, you know, the guy made the right choice. Yeah, yeah. Plus, we have tons of personality, so you can't fight that. Well, of course you do. (laughs) (laughs) I know you well, so I can say yes, you absolutely do. But that's kind of cool. We've got a minute left. Anybody else? I I have a scary one, Uh, real quick. Uh, So representing a client of a condo. We probably don't want to end on this one, by the way. I know. Representing a client of a condo. Am I going to have a nightmare tonight? Yeah, you might. Representing a client of a condo. I was representing the the seller. A week before the closing, his lawyer calls him and says, we got a problem. What's the problem? The escrow money is gone. Oh, dear. (gasps) Can you believe this? So, it, it, yeah. it, so, and for those listening, the escrow money is basically the ten percent of the purchase price that the buyer leaves when they sign the contract. Oh they, they leave with the seller's attorney. God, nightmare situation. Basically, we had to delay the closing. It, it turns out that they the money eventually was was sent by one of the. the, the there's a problem with the, one of the partners in the firm, and the money was compromised in the escrow account. My seller gets a random check uh, like two weeks after the closing. Um, from one of the other partners in the firm with the, with the amount of money. And so it's, it's all resolved eventually, but he had something else he was closing on. And it, I, can, I think this is the f- 10-minute story. But I, ha- I have a similar story, but we've got to go. Unfortunately, we are out of time. That is Good Morning New York for this week. We are back next Tuesday morning at 9 a.m. Eastern, 6 a.m. Pacific Time Live. You can always catch the show later in the day on podcast or anytime on our website, voiceamerica.com. For all of us at Voice America, all around the world, Thanks for joining me, and I will see you next time. Happy New Year, everybody. Thanks for tuning in this week. Please join us for another edition of Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco next Tuesday at 9 a.m. Eastern Time, 6 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Here's hoping all of your transactions are successful ones.